So there are two scripture readings from which this morning's sermon about anger grows from. The first is from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and this is the 137th Psalm. It is a song, a psalm of lament, of deep and abiding sadness, for they are remembering when they were captive in a foreign land and homeless and hopeless. And so they remember it in this way. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Jerusalem. On the willows there, we hung up our harps. For our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let me wither. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem, above my highest joy. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus. We don't exactly know what the Ephesians asked of Paul, but we do know in his letters that they're almost invariably responses to questions about faith, about life, about relationship in a community of faith to which Paul responds. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. I'll just get the hard news out of the way. It is kind of hard news. This summer, one of the great demographic study groups that polls people and surveys their feelings had a fairly astonishing result to a nationwide survey. And here's what they found. We are an angry nation. I mean, we're ticked off. 85% of us, 85% of us said we are angrier than we were 10 years ago. And 50% of us said we are angrier than we were one year ago. I don't know about you, but that's pretty tough news, kind of demoralizing. And I had to wonder, is there any glimmer of hope in such difficult news about anger? Then I thought of a friend of mine who might be emblematic of maybe the nation's spirit as a whole, but maybe emblematic of you as well. He used to be a person who read the newspapers, multiple papers from front to back, and listened to multiple news shows on television and radio, and now he hardly does any of those. He said he found himself just somewhere between frustrated and, well, angry. He was frustrated and angry at the craziness and injustices of the world. And he said, I even found myself a couple of mornings out loud arguing with the newspaper with only my cup of Starbucks as the witness to my brilliant solutions to the world's problems. But I wonder if there's something even alive about his anger. I mean, for one hand, it does mean he's alive and cares about things in the world, right? And if there is one thing about anger, sometimes it feels as if we're having the chance to say how we feel, which might mean that we're in control. And maybe, maybe that's why we're so attracted to the emotion. I suppose that anger as a feeling 
does affirm that the world has rules. There is right and there is wrong. There's a sense of justice. Sometimes we call that righteous anger. Well, in addition to this righteous anger, which I'll come back to, there are lots of expressions, if you're anything like me, of moments of silly anger. And I did share this image once before in a very different context, but I remember when my daughter Jess was a little girl, she's yelling, help, help. She was in the family room, and I raced in there, and she said, Peter's hitting me with his sandwich. With his sandwich? And he was. He was whacking her with his lunch sandwich. And I reacted, of course, by just simply yelling at everyone, including our dear little neighbor girl who was seated at the table as well. But for the sake of this sermon, we're not really talking about that kind of silly moment of anger. But we're really going to think about the biblical perspective and understanding of anger. And I'm going to tell you this, frankly, from beginning to end, Alpha to Omega, the Bible affirms that righteous anger is sometimes good and fitting. The prophets, right? The Old Testament prophets often report to us that God is angry. And then the prophets will recount the hurtful things that we may have done to God's world, things that could appear repugnant in God's sight, like, like blaming those who live in poverty for being in poverty. So sometimes God is angry in the Old Testament in particular. The prophets are angry. What about, well, what about Jesus? Does he get mad? For me, it's actually always been a good question because the Jesus that I met in Sunday school, and my guess is you may have met as well, was always kind, beatific. And I always imagined Jesus speaking softly, kindly. Yet, Jesus in the Gospels is, more often than not, pretty angry. Angry a fair amount of his ministry time. Jesus is angry, for instance, at those who are in the synagogue who are debating about whether he had the right on the Sabbath, when you don't work, to heal a man with a withered hand. He's angry that they're worried about the rules and the laws, about what is right and wrong in that case, instead of worried about the person who was healed. Jesus is really frustrated with the disciples. You've heard me say it at baptisms, when parents are bringing their children to Jesus so that he might bless them, say a prayer over them. And the disciples try to shoo the children away, and it says that Jesus is indignant. The disciples ask about special treatment in the next kingdom of Jesus. He's really angry. Suffice it to say, Jesus spends a fair amount of his time annoyed and angry. And if you're anything like me, that isn't the image of Jesus that you remember from Sunday school. So this is my ministry plug time. Right now, again, you heard me mentioned in the announcements, Catherine is coordinating the reading of the full sweep of the Gospel of Mark, November 21st. Come and hear it. And you may be surprised by the Jesus that you encounter, rather than in one small snippet on Sunday mornings, but the whole sweep of his public ministry. 
God gets angry, the prophets get angry, Jesus gets angry. What about us? What about you? What about me? Can anger ever serve us in a positive manner? Well, I want you to think of the 137th Psalm that I read for you. Remember the one, how can I sing your praises, God, when I'm in this strange and foreign land as a captive? Because it was written remembering when the Israelites were slaves in Babylon and their beloved temple in Jerusalem, bricks on the ground. They'd been hauled off to that foreign place. They were indeed homeless and helpless. And to make matters worse, their captors taunt them. Come on, we're bored guarding you all day long. Sing us one of those songs from your homeland, you know, one of those little ditties that make our toes tap. We're bored. And the psalmist writer said all we could do was weep. For the time for singing for them was long past. The memories of their home were beginning to fade. But apparently all that remained was anger. Maybe it was justifiable to be anger. And in this case, at least at first, their anger seems to serve them well. It might have been partly what led them to their freedom to return to their homeland. It was the poet W.H. Auden who once said, anger does have one virtue. It overcomes inaction. So, yes, sometimes anger can be the catalyst for change. It gave the Hebrew people the energy to escape slavery. Anger at the injustice of racism and the laws that enshrined it fueled the civil rights movement. Anger at a lack of freedom and representation fueled the American Revolution and fueled 100 years ago this year the right for women to vote. So yes, apparently God blesses some anger. Anger plays a role in the Christian tradition and has for as long as the tradition has been around. It was the early church theologian Augustine who wrote Hope. We love hope. Hope has two lovely children, courage and anger. Anger as one of the lovely children of hope? But you know as well as I do, Beware, there's danger lurking here. Sometimes anger, righteous anger, can be a gift, and it can also morph into sin, which means it's probably important to say at least a word about the relationship to anger and forgiveness. I think it's important to thank God for the wisdom to be angry at injustice, as long as we're willing to thank God for the wisdom to forgive. As long as we realize that forgiveness is, yes, perhaps good for the other person, but it's for our own good as well. If your anger is the impulse to knock down the walls of hatred or prejudice, then forgiveness is the impulse to walk through those walls of injustice and mend relationships. But anger, anger can also be beguiling. Sometimes anger causes us to lick our lips over grievances that are long past, or we roll our tongues over the prospect of the confrontation soon to come. Maybe we even savor the anguish we might inflict. As one writer said, anger is a 
feast for a king, with the chief drawback being that the meal you are wolfing down is yourself. Consider again the psalm I just read about the pain of being exiled from home, of being asked to sing a song in a strange and foreign land. How can we do that? That psalm, and I didn't read the ending for you because I never like to read those words in worship, are probably, in my mind, the most horrible words of Scripture. They basically say this, happy will we be when we crush with rocks the heads of our enemies' children. That's how it ends. Perhaps the most horrible words in Scripture. Anger may produce courage, but beware. It can also lead to hate. That is why anger, even righteous anger, it has to have stamped on the side of it, handle with care. Because anger can eat you alive if it isn't tempered by mercy. Which brings us to the Apostle Paul, who wrote, Be angry, but do not sin. And this proposed path of anger without sin was, I think, modeled by none other than Abraham Lincoln, speaking to his secretary of war, Edwin Stanton. Stanton was complaining and apparently completely justified in his complaints about things that had been written about him, and he was livid about it, the unfair charges. And Lincoln said, you know what, write a letter. And Stanton did, and when he finished, he read it to Lincoln, and Lincoln said, magnificent, that is a fine letter strong language. Now, Lincoln said, what are you going to do with it? Post it, of course, replied Stanton. Oh, no, Lincoln said. You don't want to do that. I mean, it's a fine letter. And it was a, you had a fine experience in writing it. Now, burn it. And write another. Still be firm, state the truth, but with less anger. Apostle Paul said it in the same way. Be angry, but do not sin. Write a letter, but sometimes throw it away and write a new one. Fight injustice, but do it without vengeance. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. You may let anger motivate you, but do not let anger destroy you. Be angry, indeed, be angry. If anger moves you to seek justice, but do not sin. I think that is remarkable advice for the long haul, for a generation, for a lifetime, for a nation, for a community. But you know, Paul also, in his letter to the Ephesians, gives us some very specific advice for this day, November 10th. He also said, do not let the sun set on your anger. Do not go to bed mad tonight. You know, that might very well be how we, as Christians, may use anger to better the world and at the same time own up to our anger so that our anger does not own us.